0: You, it's Rachel O'Meara. I'm host of the Pausecast, and I'm so glad that you are here. We are discussing tips and proven strategies in the world of emotional intelligence, so that you can rise to your next level of leadership without the overwhelm. I'm also the author of the book, Pause, harnessing the life-changing power of giving yourself a break based on my burnout of Google and all the things that I've learned since that are really in this realm of neuroscience, psychology, and emotional intelligence. If you're interested to download my free guidebook for how to get out of overwhelm, I invite you to do that at rachelomera.com slash guidebook. Just so excited, let's just start and dive in. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining today. I am here with a very special guest, uh, a, a friend, a colleague, and now an ally who I have known for several years, Andrew Duffy. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? Hi, Rachel. Good to be here with you. I want to share a little bit about who Andrew is, why he's on the podcast, and then we're going to get into it in terms of all things culture, leadership, uh, and and like how we, how we pause and why breaks are important and all this cool stuff that we can actually with guests. I love to have them lead a pause and Andrew's agreed to have us do that towards the end. So I'm super excited that we're going to do that. But first, Andrew, you are awesome. First of all, you're vivacious spirit. And for over 15 years, his unique coaching has led people and groups to lives of love, vibrance, peace play and power just those things you know not, not too much as a cultural as a culture architect for organizations andrew serves to bring more soul to people's work and workplace catalyzing profound experiences relationships and results i probably don't even need to explain now why you're on the podcast <laughs> i want to share though why you and i and how like how we met and so uh it's a it's, it's a it's a fun story for me to share, Andrew. I don't know what your version is because I haven't heard it, but basically I was your client. I was, a, uh, I hired Andrew at a gym. He was a personal trainer as I was first getting into triathlon and he kicked my butt in good ways. And I ended up doing my Olympic distance triathlons. And uh, Andrew, you were, you were a great personal trainer, just for the record. So Thank you for all of your support. And now here we are. It's 10 plus years. Easily 15 probably years later. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the pause cast and we're gonna learn more about what you do now. But oh
1: man, that was my first training job ever. <laughs> Andrew
0: was having me do the things that I've never even seen or knew about, like things with sticks and bout balls and like all these kinds of random angles. And I was like, what am I doing? But then I realized I was actually man. getting stronger. So thanks.
1: <laughs> wow, what a flashback to that time in San Francisco. That was around like that must have been around like two thousand nine, two thousand.
0: Flash forwarding to present time, I think you're on the East Coast. Where are you based?
1: Uh, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, right yeah,
0: now. Yeah, you're in you're in Richmond. I'm in San Francisco at the moment, and uh, you are a cultural cultural architect and and leadership uh, coach. So tell us what a cultural architect does. What do you what and how did you come to do that from the world that you and I know each other from?
1: From being a personal trainer. To cultural architects came through understanding that personal training wasn't really working to create some of the sustainable, like long-term change that a lot of clients like you were coming to me to experience. Personal training is very much about telling people what to do and when and how. And when, when you and I were training, I think i have been training for about like a year and a half to two years. I also knew that I was getting frustrated With other folks who weren't nearly as driven as you. Like, you came in very motivated. You had a very specific plan and a goal. And there are a lot of folks who come in with some like general ideas. They don't have like a crystallized vision, but even when they do, sometimes they just let their life get in the way. Psychological underpinnings of behavior change, Mm. as well as the nutrition and fitness aspects. And like, how do you create this like overall comprehensive plan? And so, through a few different certifications, Start to learn a lot more about how to listen and how to ask questions in powerful ways that had people really connect with their why and use their why to generate a more crystallized vision and looking at how I could serve as someone who fills in the gaps and just continuing to ask questions to help them continue to discover and serve as that catalyst. When I started working with some folks who had high-level positions at organizations, I understood that they had an opportunity to impact the culture of their organizations. And a lot of them were coming into our work together, again, with those goals in mind of whether it was like weight loss, certain like certain things related to to health markers like blood pressure and cholesterol. Sometimes they wouldn't follow through on it. And they'd be talking about how their work was just really weighing down on them. I saw an opportunity to have a conversation with them and see if I could step into maybe altering what was going on at work. And that at the time, I only really felt comfortable offering like fitness classes or something that was a little bit more hands-on and what I was qualified for. And then as I start to learn more about health coaching and the behavioral component, and also just diving into like large, made and small organizational settings, understanding that how people were acting and why had a lot to do with what people thought was expected or didn't know was expected or culture there, right? And, and how they were invested in it or not and why. And so the culture is the alignment of like the vision, values, and mission of an organization with the actions, right? So the actions expressing those things and everything from how people talk to each other, the relationships they have. Uh, benefits that are offered, email communication, how long lunch breaks are, or are there any, whether people can work from home or not. Culture is the the, the realization and manifestation of what those values are. And I realized that a lot of organizations were either saying that they had certain values and a vision for how they were going to follow through on like their service or product, or the way that their organization would run and they wouldn't execute well on it or they just didn't really have anything in place that offered the organization like guidelines or even an opportunity for conversation about how things can go. So that's when I started to explore becoming a culture architect so that I could step in in those moments and ask questions for leadership and the organizations to create those actions that matched with the mission, vision, and values, or to ask them questions that had them really dial into the mission, vision, and values for how they wanted their organization to run and what they wanted their employee experience or service or product experience to look like. So that's, that's what a culture architect does. Again, is if the mission, vision, and values aren't crystal clear.
0: Part, so if they don't have the vision, mission, and values uh, put out, then you help establish that it does so did you come up with this term and philosophy i'm so curious is this is this something i could go out and look up in the yellow pages if i wanted one or
1: it's a term that i discovered about six months ago there's a gentleman named david j friedman who runs a podcast that i found on spotify uh called the culture architects and there's another gentleman named Darren Martin, D-A-R-E-N Martin, uh, who's based out of New Orleans. He's the brother of someone that I met here in Richmond, who calls himself a culture architect as well. And so I started to see the term thrown around and it just made sense for for like what I'm doing to, I, like, to identify as that, because I'm working in the culture space and an architect doesn't create the vision, but really listens to what people want to see and and what they want their experience to be like, and then offers guidelines and then refines things based on conversations to create a blueprint, right? Yeah. Of what things can look like. And then also having it be flexible as things start to build because- when you start to build things in real life, just like you do with like a, like a house, right? So if you have architectural plans and all of a sudden there are some issues with it, like the architect has to be flexible and work with the builder, right? In this case, I think the builder is very much, uh, like very much like part of the organization or the company. Um, and just having those conversations about, okay, like this doesn't seem to be working because sometimes it happens, right? Like people will try things on like a a new way of doing things and it doesn't necessarily fit at that time. And so then we just pivot, but as long as there's a strong foundation based on the mission, vision and values and some really like core habits and, and ways of acting, then things are, are off to a great start.
0: Yeah. And wow, this is exciting. So not only is it something that I feel like the world is is hungry for right where many companies maybe they're coming out of covid they're trying to figure out what is our culture now how do we mm-hmm. how do we navigate in a weird world now where there might be people remote and people hybrid and people at work plus it, that makes it harder my sense is it makes it harder mm-hmm. and and establish a culture that is fl- like fluent and fluid for what's needed in that in that company. Cause they were all, we're all going to have unique needs. And I think that's a great summary vision, mission, and values. And it's, it's exciting to hear that that's actually a, a term and, and there's, there's like thought leaders in the space and, and you're part of that movement. And I feel like it's overdue and, and what a cool way to contribute now, right? Raising your game of leadership from the, the more physical training side to aspects in, In culture and architecting that, creating the blueprints, which is awesome. I love that. So bringing this back to leadership, right? So thinking about, you know, we're all, we're all in our own stews of culture in our own companies and, and doing things. So, you know, as a, as a leader, whether I'm a manager, whether I'm an individual contributor or just someone who's in the culture, like, what do you, what would you say are things that I can be kind of helping with or contributing for so that I can, that I can move a culture forward in this way where it's like my vision, the vision and the values and the mission and the actions are kind of getting in alignment or, or like, like, where do you start, I guess? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great question. It, uh, what I've learned is that it really depends individually on the organization and the role and the person. I, I've had the opportunity to work with a very large insurance company based in California that has, I believe close to 8,000 employees now. And the way that their leadership handles things is different than the folks who work directly beneath them. They also have call centers operate a lot differently than the folks in the legal department. So there are so many different ways for people with, even in just that organization to think about how to approach culture more often than not, the culture isn't working for a lot of employees in some kind of way. It's one of the reasons why people end up getting burnt out and leaving organizations is because there is a cultural misfit. The recommendation that I have is like, no matter what role you're in, no matter how new or how seasoned you are, now is the best time to just share something with someone that you work with. It could be someone who's working beneath you, alongside you, above you, whatever it is. And typically I'd I'd say approaching and having a conversation with leadership. Like, this, like the person that serves directly with you or someone that you have a good relationship with and having that conversation. People who are in a position of power are able to make those decisions, but either way, just starting to create a little bit of motion and conversation so that things can start to change. Folks who don't think that they're in the best position to start to create some of that change end up doing so and their team and leaders recognize them for that and it creates... A, an appreciation for that person for saying things that other people have been thinking for a long time too. So someone's sharing something and having the courage to do that if they have a sense of fear or if it just feels like the right thing to do really can start to create a beautiful ripple effect.
0: I can totally see that in a way that's a positive light where you wouldn't think that it's necessary. I think culture is super, super underrated as it is, right? Because it's the last mm-hmm. thing usually that gets on an agenda. There's a million things of companies trying to do or key, key results to get for the quarter, whatever it is. And culture tends to be like the after effect or, or just like right. how, what I'm hearing from you is actually it can shape everything from productivity to performance and uh and trust right and i know we're going to work on that towards the end of this in our in our exercise so i'm excited for that but it's, yeah. it's really critical for creating the a culture that will su- support all of us and move the company forward in ways that that maybe things like toxic culture would take it down or a person. Right. Is-
1: Everything you just said, biggest concerns that leaders have right now is if there's a cultural misfit, right? If, if someone who's extremely talented doesn't feel like they are appreciated, if they have an opportunity to contribute in certain ways, if their engagement is lacking, right? Like a like culture impacts that experience quite a bit so to reduce turn- turnover and retain really top quality talent having a cultural fit and a culture that people want to be a part of is profoundly helpful because top talent most of the time they actually like they they would prefer to work for an organization whose mission vision and values they really buy into and accept a little bit less pay because they just feel so at home and 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 they feel fulfilled in what they're doing And when that happens and and people feel like satisfied in their soul because they have good relationships with their coworkers and because they feel like they're doing something meaningful, the only things that knock them away from working for that organization usually is a life circumstance that they can't control. Like someone's, for example, like mom has cancer and they need to go move in with them, right? Or whatever it is, like something traumatic that requires them to like fundamentally have to shift out. So the the retention skyrockets and everyone just has a better experience when the culture
0: yeah. significantly improves. So I have a pretty... Uh, interesting follow-up to that because this would be my this is where my head goes. So I know there's a lot of folks right now who would probably think their culture could improve in some ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: people in my mind, are, like people coming specifically to my mind are just people that I know who are looking for jobs and they don't like where they're li- working right now. So if that's you, like if there's people who are listening right now and they are like, well, what do I do to to actually get a culture even in my own company versus like going to look for one because then I got to start all over again. Right. Where do I like? What do I do if I feel like maybe there's micromanaging, or I don't feel like I have a say at this company anyway? Why should I bother changing the culture?
1: It really does depend on the organization. Like you're talking about, like having someone who's a micromanager like directly above you. Uh, a friend of mine had that situation in in his sales team. So he's he's relatively new at his organization. He's only been there for like a few months, and. His manager was micromanaging him and the rest of his sales team. Someone said something to someone else on the team, and they decided as a team to share what they were all experiencing, because it wasn't just the one person, right? And then they approached the the micromanager's superior and said, "Hey, this has been going on for a little while." and that that micromanager, and the organization just decided to keep him, but just moved him somewhere else, just based on what his skill set was and what he was really good at. So the conversation started something that didn't really create a bad situation. It actually led to the sales team now having a better experience and a better manager. And the person who was micromanaging is now has a role that better fits their skill set. Start having some conversations in places that feel comfortable and just start feeling it out and making it a regular habit to have those conversations because the more it's talked about, the more movement it's going to create.
0: Yeah. That's and then you and then you and then be the be the brave soul or, or worker who starts to have those conversations if they don't exist, right? And it can be a super small one over lunch that could be like a colleague, you know, just getting the feel for something. I think yeah. that's where we all start. And that's a great piece of uh, insight. Te- speaking about teams and and how we create cohesiveness and and align more with the things you're talking about, Andrew, can you help us in our uh, in our pause today for something that we can all kind of take away and try? I'd love to have a call to action for folks who want to maybe apply this, put this to work in where they are.
1: Rachel, I love what you do with your pauses, by the way. like Just your philosophy and your approach to it, I think is really wonderful. Taking the spirit of what you do and putting it in alignment with a lot of the work that I do, which has a lot to do with relationships. Relationships at work and especially trust in those relationships is paramount. It's oftentimes considered more important to have a high level of trust than it is to have a high level of performance within a team or organization. Because the more you can trust someone to do something, even if they have a, a mediocre level of performance, you know that they're going to be able to follow through on it, right? And if they have a high level of performance, even better. But if the, if you can't trust them and they have it, like e- even a savant level of talent, right? In the like, top 1%, if they're not reliable and you can't trust them, then it's really not as meaningful. Like they may not get the job done and you can't trust that it's going to get done. So I think that building trust and relationships is really key for anyone on a team, especially leaders. I think a good pause that can help build trust is what I call a contribution pause. And that is thinking about someone that you work with or a team that you work with and what would absolutely light them up, whether it's expected or not. And if it's unexpected, even better, but just knowing that it would be something that they would greatly appreciate. It could be something related to acknowledgement or it could be stepping in to do something for them that would be really helpful for them, right? So so the exercise is thinking about a person or a group, thinking about what that action might be for them and why it would impact them in a really positive way, thinking about the structure of how you're going to support that action. So is it an action that you can do right now? If so, awesome. Go ahead and do it. But if it's something that's going to take a little bit of like planning or steps, my recommendation is find a structure like a calendar, post-it note, whatever it is that's going to remind you to follow through on that action later if you're not in a position to do it right now. So for example, like I'm not in a position to do something like, I'm going to use the example. Like I know that my, my twin brother absolutely loves certain types of foods, right? He loves certain cupcakes from the spot in Richmond. And I'm not in a position to go do that right now, but what I can do is put a reminder on my calendar to go pick that up for him later and deliver it to him. Right. And I know that he's going to be excited about that. I know that's something he's going to appreciate because I've done it for him before and it's worked out great. He's
0: going to be excited all over again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. So. So thinking about like, getting into his universe and what's going to light him up and might be expected or unexpected. So I did that for him this last Saturday with a friend, and it was unexpected. Brought it by, and he really appreciated it. Uh, so, well. so, so for so for the folks listening, so thinking about the person or group, what would light them up and why, and then putting the structure in place. If you can't do it right now, following through on the action. Right. So that's that's the four steps.
0: I think the key there is the structure, like you're saying, where we have to have the structure there, just like in any pause, whether it's getting out of the house at 10 or making your bed or whatever it is, having, having an invite, right. Calendar invite or some kind of regularity so that you can stay on track, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So, you know, it's not about doing it often. It's about what works for you. That's the beauty of it. And what a powerful way to build culture, because it's about more than you. And I could see any leader, whether you're a leader of a team or just part of a team, who could be that ambassador who can say, hey, like, what if we did this? What if we tried honoring one person a month or a team once a month and celebrated them in some way and had a fun Mm. time or, you know, whatever it might be. I've seen it a lot with Mm. birthdays. You know, that was kind of our Google language birthday on the team. So once a month we'd have a cake, but it wasn't like really personal. I mean, we would have cards and stuff, but, um, what I think I like about yours is one layer deeper where it's really personalized because mm-hmm. it's that one person And it. And how cool would that be if you could feel that appreciated at work? You know, I'd love that. Mm-hmm. Very cool way to build a team. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you called it the contribution pause contribution slash contribution break. So everyone could take that away as a an action item to follow up with. So, thank you for that, Andrew. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with in terms of culture and leadership, and just in terms of you know any other any other insights of wisdom nuggets you'd want to plug right here?
1: Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question. So, creating or changing culture t- takes time, and there are <laughs> there are a lot of organizations that like to do it in retreats, right? So, retreats long-term on their own have about a 20% success rate at creating some kind of change. That's not very good. Right. So like the ROI on retreats is not fantastic, but what I found is that doing regular intervals of every two to three weeks, about 45 minutes or half an hour of something that can start to shift culture, especially with leadership. Like that's one of the things that I, I, I do with leadership teams over the process of like six months to a year starts to create, bite-sized habits and ways of doing things differently instead of having it just be this like big, Hey, we're going to shift everything. And here's how we're going to do it. And, and the, the point of that is every two weeks, like, like you, you, you learn or work on something And then you progress, right? So over the process of six months to a year, you make way more progress and a lot more people are are on board with it and stay with that kind of a plan and program instead of doing like a multi-hour day-long retreat or multi-day retreat, the conversation keeps going. It's, you know, it's very similar to training for endurance events or any kind of sport. Like the the most elite athletes in the world spend about 80% of their time in like a low level of, <laughs> of work on, and working on skill and 20% of the time doing stuff a little bit more intense.
0: I can attest but, to that. I can, I can definitely. <laughs> <an accurate> description.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like the idea is that you're doing things more frequently and working on this technique and skill to where it becomes like, like it becomes natural for you as opposed to just doing this kind of like big, like camp style thing for a period of time. And then it, like the benefits wear away relatively quickly. So, so, so my recommendation is that folks explore how to create that shift long-term and do the bite-sized things and, and, and just like be patient with it. Right. Like it does take time for cultures to shift. There's more resistance with certain people within organizations with, uh, you know, with just how certain structures are. So it does take time. And so for folks, you know, to just have the conversation. And be patient, and and just talk with leadership and teams about developing these small habits over time that are alignment with the mission, vision, and values.
0: Yeah, and then that's and then if you if you don't have mission, vision, and values, you got to get those out probably first, <laughs> right? To create the aligned yeah. action. So for that, these are all really great hot tips. We'll call them. Where can we find you? What if people want to work with you? How do they get in touch with you, Andrew? Because I think you've got so much to offer.
1: My email is andrew at andrewkduffy.com. That's andrew k sure, duffy.com. And and also my phone number, which what uh, we'll have in the notes as well. So those are the two best ways. And like any type of conversation about culture, any of the things that we've talked about on this podcast as well, happy to happy to explore. And Rachel, just really appreciate you for having me on here because I think a lot of the work that you're doing with leaders. And having people take those pauses, like to be more productive and have a better like life and work experience is really profound and powerful. And that's one of the reasons why we reconnected, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Al- I mean,
0: al- almost,
1: fi- almost 15 years later, because I, like I saw on LinkedIn, a, a, a notification about some of the stuff that you were doing and it just like the spirit of what we're doing is so similar. Yeah. So I, I just really appreciate what you're doing in, in trying to create a wonderful experience for everyone.
0: Yeah, so this is the culture pause, right? So if you're feeling called <laughs> for how do I contribute to a culture pause or create that wave in ripple in my company then this is this is the information that you need to know and Andrew's your guy. So Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. It's totally an honor to have you here and so fun to, to reconnect again. for listening today to the podcast. you rock if you haven't already please subscribe rate us leave your review i'd love to hear from you and help us get the word out to all of those who are in search of wanting to get out of overwhelm and rise to their next level of leadership if you think this that you might benefit from these tools or know anyone else who would just invite them to join us share this episode with them give them give them the go ahead the green light something that you found interesting and i'm sure they will also Thanks so much for listening. Remember, sharing is caring. And I'll see you next time right here on the podcast.